welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm still getting used to seeing your faces and not a sea of black, so that's nice. But uh, the one thought I had is if uh, we'll pretend we're not in church, so if you have a question, feel free to ask them, right? Again, pretend we're not in church because you're not supposed to talk in church. As that's what I was taught growing up. But uh, I would love if you guys have questions or you want me to clarify something or you want to add to it, by all means, raise your hand. Oh, you took me up on that. How many Oxford? I have, I have two. <laughs> I have two, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. He asked how many, for those online, he asked me how many shirts I get. And it's funny, every time I wear this shirt, I get comments. So um, my shame is kicking in. So that's what I'm saying. So... But we're going we're gonna to jump right into our text this morning, because I, I can't wait for you to see the heart of the Apostle Paul uh, that he's trying to communicate in our, our couple passages here. So let's pray. Father, we're going to ask you to, to bless this time together, that... Uh, that this would be more than just uh, a, a simple message, but rather we'd hear from you, and we would hear what is your heart, what is it you're desiring for us. And so I'm, I'm trusting you as best I know how to be the, the speaker, the teacher through me, and I pray that your Holy Spirit in each one of us, those here in the room, those who are on, online, that we'd all be encouraged and blessed by who you are and your great love. In your name we pray, amen. So, so Paul's wrapping up now his, his letter to the church in Ephesus, and uh, we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to finish it next week. Um, it's been a bit of a journey, and it's been a good journey, I hope, but, um, but right now what Paul's doing is he's sort of done with his teaching. He's done with the main part of what he's been teaching in this book, and now he's beginning his closing greetings. And so what we're going to see here is, again, is I think is a, a glimpse of his heart, uh, a heart that really comes from knowing and trusting who Jesus is in and through him. And so he writes in chapter 6, verses 21 and 22, but that you may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Anyone want to evade or guess how that name is pronounced? Titicus. I've been practicing that all week, and I nailed it. I nailed it. Titicus, right? So, but that you may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Titicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. I was struck here thinking about Paul as he's writing this letter, that Paul is in bondage, Paul is in chains, and, and he's the one that's in prison at this point. And if there's ever a moment to be a little selfish, this would be the moment. You see, when, when someone's being persecuted like this, it doesn't tend to create a lot of close friends. Maybe supporters from afar who get to go home still at night, but not many people actually jump into the prison with you. And that's the case here with Paul. And it's, it, he, he writes about other people who, under that kind of persecution, the, the numbers began to dwindle. He began to lose supporters. And, and so those people who aren't willing to, to really stand with him and to suffer with him are, are shrinking. And what he ends up doing in this moment is he actually sends away one of his most trusted co-laborers into Tychicus. He says he's a beloved brother and a faithful minister. And I thought about the personal cost it was to Paul. 
Because he's not just sending him away for a couple days. He's sending him away for months, maybe for years, and maybe forever. We don't actually know if Paul ever reconnects with the tickets before he ends up being killed. And so I, I was struck by, by Paul and seeing that, you know, for him, his theology and what he was teaching was much more than just information. It was much more than knowledge. It was something that he, he could share now. He could express towards other, other people. You see, really, he understood that God's grace was given to him so he could share that grace with others. And you see, that's really why we chose this letter of, of Ephesians to begin, really, as the, the first big book that New Life studied. Because it does an excellent job, I think, of, of explaining who we are in Jesus as individuals, but also who we are as the body of Christ and how we can connect and relate to one another. And so we've been constantly trying to share with you what is our mission, what is our heart here at New Life. And it's, it's basically we want to discover God's grace, God's grace to you. I mean, think about that, Kim. God loves you, and he's accepted you, and you are perfect and pure despite what Adam says sometimes, right? That's an incredible message. It's an incredible truth to know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so we want to discover that in God's grace, in this new covenant. But we don't want it just to stay with us. We don't want it just to be an individual gospel. We want it to be one where we share that within a community of grace. And so that's what we're wanting to experience. And so I thought as we kind of come to the end of our study, end of this book, I figure it's time for a test. Aren't you excited? Aren't you glad you came? Right? Where, where's Janice? Where's Janice and Marco? I, I, I get that. I love this. You know, I get to apply a test and the groans. But here's the good news. It's not really a test for you. It's a test for us as a church. It's a test to really see what kind of experience are we getting here at New Life. And so before we kind of understand what, what healthy community looks like, because that's really what we're going to try to test, I want you to know we're, we're far from perfect here at New Life. We, we haven't mastered it. We don't do it right all the time. But we're, while we're still learning and growing, this is what we're aiming to experience. This is what we're aiming to offer to one another. And, and what we share may seem like pie-in-the-sky thinking to some. That, that this is what, maybe what the church should be like, but it's not possible here on earth. But I would, I would wager and I would argue with you that actually I've experienced it. I've seen it. I know it's possible. Despite all the unhealthy community you've experienced in the past, it is worth pursuing. It is worth trying. And so we're going to try to examine what, what kind of a healthy community looks like, really in a, in, a, in a series of questions, questions that you might ask yourself about the community to determine whether it's healthy or not. So the first question I have is, is does your behavior and performance become the standard where we measure spiritual maturity, acceptance, righteousness, holiness, God's favor, and approval? How do we judge spiritual maturity? That's really important. Is it, is it rooted in your performance? Is it rooted in how well you pray and how you sound in your prayers? Is it rooted in how much scripture knowledge you have and, and your ability to play the sword drill and, and be the first one up to find you know, the book of Malachi, for example? Is that the key? Or is our righteousness and our approval, our standing before God, is it based on the fact that we are born again? Simple as that. That's all it requires is that you and I were born again 
as brand new people. And the moment we are born again, we were born whole and holy. You know, I often think about the, the illustration about, you know, when you were born, you were born as a male or a female. And as you grow up, you don't become more male and more female as you go. You just are. In the same way, when you were born again in Christ, you were born again, holy and righteous and redeemed. Your, your rightness, your goodness is not something that you earn. Listen to how Paul describes it in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 9. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. He just talked about his, his flesh and his abilities and his talents and everything. And he says, it's all rubbish. It's all a big, fat negative. It means nothing. More than that, I count it all to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing, intimately knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. That's a pretty word, rubbish. It's a far more uh, poopy word, I would say. Human waste is really what that word is. I would count them all but poop so that I may gain Christ. I actually was really short of strength on that one, by the way. So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived by or from the law derived from what I do and my performance and my successes and less failures, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's it. The moment you place your faith in Jesus, you became as righteous as Jeremy and Nikki are, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> Amen? That's why he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can we earn a gift? No. And we saw here the faith isn't the gift. It's the it's salvation. The fact that you've been made right is the gift. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. So a healthy community is one that's going to encourage and remind you of who you already are in Christ rather than trying to push you to do something to somehow get there. You've already arrived. Well, next statement, next question would be, do we believe that we are sinners trying to be saints, or are we saints who sometimes sin? This is such a, a common misunderstanding amongst our churches. We often carry that label, sinner saved by grace. In fact, we almost wear it as a badge of honor. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And yet that phrase is never uttered by our father in his word. Nowhere does he ever describe one of his kids as a sinner or just a sinner saved by grace. Instead, over and over and over again, he calls you and I saints. Literally, the word for saint means holy one. And that's who you are. And yes, you still sin from time to times. But again, your behavior doesn't determine who you are. Our core identity, our core nature is really coming down to what kind of a heart you and I have. And so, Tim, is your heart good? That's the question. And, and many people who hold to this idea that we're sinners saved by grace, they love to quote the verse Jeremiah 17, 9, where it says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is, des de is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I would agree that, that when you and I arrived here on planet Earth, our heart was deceptively evil. It was wicked. It was beyond cure. There was no redeeming. There was no saving that heart. That's why when you're born, when you arrived here on planet Earth, you were a sinner. 
but you were born one because of Adam. Remember, how you became a sinner wasn't because you tripped your sister and laughed at her. That didn't make you a sinner. You tripped your sister and laughed at her because you were a sinner. Can anyone relate to that? All right, I'm not alone. That's good. But you and I, we were born, made a sinner because of Adam and what he did. And so thankfully, our salvation, our redemption, wasn't just forgiving us of those times where we tripped our sister and laughed at her. It was beyond that. It was deeper than that. What God does is he does a miracle. He does a, a transformation of an exchange of your heart. And so in Ezekiel 36, he says, moreover, I will give you a new heart. So he took that old, wicked, deceitful heart. And he says, I'm going to remove that heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a new, alive heart. You see, that's what's so beautiful about the cross that we keep coming back to over and over and over again because it's so central and it's so easy to forget that what happened on the cross was more than Jesus died for us. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That old sinner, that wicked heart died on the cross with Jesus and is gone. And it never comes back. And you've been given a new heart. Isn't that good news, Ryan? A pure heart. One that has been made in the likeness of your father, in holiness and righteousness and truth. That's who you are. That's what you have right now. And so you are a saint who sometimes sins, but it never changes the fact that you're still a saint. In the same way, if I, if I act like a dog, that doesn't somehow make me a dog. I'm still a human. I'm still a person even though I can act like that. And so we are saints who sometimes sins. Now, some people ask, well, does it really even matter? Isn't it just semantics? And I'd say not at all. Because if you believe in your heart that you're a sinner, if you believe that your nature is bad, that your heart is bad, then you are in a battle with yourself. And what you're going to do is you're going to try to, to impose some kind of external rules, some kind of external system to, to control your heart, control your desires. And so what ends up happening now is, is our focus changes. And so the next question of a healthy community is, is our focus on managing your sin using shoulds, ought tos, and musts? See, if I believe I'm a sinner saved by grace, I'm going to turn to the law. I'm going to turn to some kind of rules, hoping to suppress those sinful desires, hoping that if I follow the law, then I'll be okay. But Paul in Romans 7, this great chapter all about why the believer can't be under or connected to the law. He says in Romans 7.10 that this commandment, this law, the law actually was one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet in particular. He says this commandment, which I thought was going to be life to me, only proved to be death. I thought the law was going to contain sin. It was going to contain these sinful desires. And I wouldn't lust. I wouldn't struggle anymore. But the opposite happened. So sin sprang to life, and it overcame me. It overwhelmed me, and I wasn't able to handle it. And so he needed to set us free from the law. So he says in Romans 6 and 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Please understand, law and grace are polar opposites. You can't have both. It's one or the other. And we were set free from the law because if you go back to the law, what will master you? 
Sin will. Sin will master you. Sin will control you. And so we need to be set free from it so that we could be under grace. And you see, that, that frustrates people from time to time. Because you see, here at New Life, we don't tend to give you a lot of lists of things to do. You know, five keys to being a good husband and, and four things to do is to be a great wife and, and seven things to do to become a good parent on Monday. And there's another list on Tuesday and <laughs> three more on Thursday. It's, it's brutal. But you see, people, they want to know, just tell me what to do so I can do it. And that's why we love the law. But it's not that simple. But there is something I can tell you as to what to do. Here it is. Trust Jesus and love others. You see, the, the difficult part of that is in the trusting Jesus, it changes from day to day, maybe. It will look different from person to person. It's what's Jesus saying to you in the moment. Please understand, I'm not talking about what would Jesus do, because there are two big flaws in that. And what would Jesus do now? You got to somehow think like God, which his ways, I remember reading something about being a little bit higher than ours. But somehow you got to think like God. But imagine you do, because every, every blind squirrel finds a nut from time to time. So let's suppose you stumble across and think like God. Now you have the bigger challenge. you got to be God. That's not the gospel. He's not inviting you and I to mimic him, to copy him, to pretend to be him. Instead, he's inviting himself. He's inviting you to trust himself in you. And so moment by moment, we're relying upon Jesus. We're turning to Jesus and watching him live. And so in 1 John 3, 23, Jesus says, or John says this, that this is Jesus' commandment. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name and the power of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he commanded us. And so in each specific moment, we're trusting Jesus to lead us and then to pull, us off, pull it off through us. All right, the next, next question about a healthy community is, how, how do we respond when you fail or are struggling? And is it, is it more important to us that you stop sinning or that you be known fully and loved? What's more important? See, often in our churches, what we've done is we've, we've turned to accountability groups as the answer. Oh, you're struggling with your sin? We're going to put you a part of this group and this accountability group. They're going to keep you on track. They're going to help protect you and make sure that you stop this sin. And it becomes really all about stop sinning. And so you think about within these groups, what do we celebrate? We celebrate sobriety of sin, whether that be sobriety of alcohol or lust or, or adultery or drugs or country music, or whatever it is that you're struggling with. I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't resist the temptation. I need an accountability group. Yeah. The problem is these accountability groups, they don't work. Let me give you an example. Arla is a, a naturopath. She's a fantastic naturopath. She's the one I go and I visit with. And I was chatting to her this week, and, and I'm, I'm talking about some of the things I'm struggling with. And I was honest with her. I said, really, the issue is I need to exercise. That's the bottom line. And I, I know the issue. It's not anything else. It's just me. I, I lack the self-discipline of exercise. Greg understands, right? So, <laughs> so I struggle with that. 
And, and so she's saying, well, is there anything I can do to help? Because that's, that's her heart. I love her heart. And, and I'm thinking, one, one thought I had was, well, maybe if she hold me accountable to that. But here's what would happen is she would call me up the first week and say, so Ross, how many times do you exercise? And, and maybe I did it two or three times that week. And she would cheer me on, and that would be so great. But then the next week would happen. And guess how many times I'd exercise in the next week? None, none. I'd give up. It would be, it would be two or three times the first day, and then I'd be done the rest of it, right? I'm, I, I quit. But then when I meet with her, guess what I'm going to say to her? I don't want to admit that I'm a failure. I don't want to let Arla down. And I know how much Arla is exercising, so I lie. And I say, well, it was about one time. Because I got up from the couch to get more snacks a couple times, right? That's a lot of work, right? So, so I begin to lie to Arla because I don't want her to know about my failure. Because what's success in that group? Not sinning. Not struggling with it. You see, I, I'm not against accountability groups. Please understand, don't, don't hear me saying that. I just think our goal, what we celebrate in accountability groups, shouldn't be sobriety. It shouldn't be overcoming sin. What we ought to celebrate in, is an encouragement of who we are. See, what if, what if when I meet with Arla, I can be honest with my success or my failures because it doesn't really matter. Arla just can remind me of how much I'm loved in Jesus. She's just going to encourage me about my identity in Christ and just encourage me to keep trusting him as we go on. And now I don't have to hide. I don't have to pretend. Because see, too often when accountability groups get together, every person in the group is struggling, but no one admits it. Because they all think everyone else seems to have it all together, and they're the only one. And it's a great lie. And so that's what we want to see in these groups. Peter, Peter Watts starting up a study, and I think I don't know if it's this week or next week, on, on a book called Wild at Heart. It's a study for men to understand what does it mean to be a man of God, to explore that masculine soul that God's given you as a man. And I would encourage, I love that book. I would encourage everyone to be a part of that video series that he's going through. But what you're going to find there is just that Peter and the other men affirming you of your identity in Christ beyond your performance, beyond what you do. So it's not the shoulds, ought tos, and musts that matter. It's coming back to our identity. All right, next one. Would you feel comfortable? Oh, this was so big. Would you feel comfortable if this group knew, you, knew your story, your failures, your struggles, and the shame that the flesh whispers in your mind? The question is often asked and portrayed in this way. If you had to tell your story, if you had to tell your shame, your failures, all of that, and you got to pick the group you told it to, you could choose the group of, of strangers that you will never meet again. Or you tell the people of your local church that you will see week in, week out, over and over and over again. Which group would you choose? Guess which one most people choose? They choose the strangers. Because the thought is that I can tell them everything, but I never have to look them in the, lot, in the eye again, and it's over with. And that answer breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for two reasons. One is it's an indictment of us as the church. That somehow we're, instead of loving and embracing, we're, we're condemning these people. We're judging these people. We're putting them down. But here's the other reason it breaks my heart is when you go and speak to that, those group of strangers and they're gone now, they're out of your life, they're not there to help. They're not there to encourage and support and, and walk with you. 
And yet that's what the church can be. A community of people that can, that can walk with you, can be a safe place to encourage you. And so when we're together, whether it be here on a Sunday morning or, or at one of the various events, or if you just go out for, for a coffee with Alan, we ought to be able to just be real and honest, knowing that Alan's going to accept you, that Alan's going to embrace you, and he's going he's to point you to Jesus. Not to the law, not to your performance, but to the one who loves you, the one who already knew about the sin, and the one who embraces you entirely. We ought to be the safest group in the world. All right, next question. Is, is love an offer or a demand? Does our love come with the expectation that you are to give something back? Conditional love is such a killer. It's such a killer. It, for a moment, it, it, it feels good when I get a little bit of that love. But the problem is it, it will eat away at my soul. This idea that I'm loved if, or I'm loved when, or I'm loved as long as. Because it, it breeds so much insecurity. I heard of this, this practical joke one time. Uh, Jeremy, you can try this on Nikki and, and show with black eyes. But, but the, the, the prank is this, is that every time Nikki asks Jeremy a question, he answers it and then ends with, for now. Think about it. You know, she, she asks Jeremy, is the, is the milk still good? Yep. For now. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeremy, how do I look in this outfit? Oh, you look great. For now. <laughs> Do you love me? <laughs> oh, yes. For now. I mean, the insecurity that that would breed, because you'd be always looking over your shoulder, wondering what's next, what's going to happen, when, what's going to cause it to change. And that's conditional love. Only God can offer that unconditional love. Only God could answer and, and attack the shame and insecurity conditional love breeds. And so our love that we're offering is with no strings attached. You know, right now we're, we're doing all these interviews of all the various teams up here. Please understand, we're not bringing these teams up here saying, you need to serve. I've heard that in some churches. They say that if, you're, if you've been here for six months and you're not part of, a uh, part of a team, then you ought to move on. We don't want people just filling up seats and pews. That's not our heart. That's not, it's not our agenda. Because that, that kind of agenda is all about feeding the machine. It's all about feeding the programs and making sure they happen you know, in, a, in a slick way. That's not our goal and our desire. Our, our goal is for you to be part of a team so that you can be part of a group. So you can get to know people and you can connect with people. I love helping out on the AV team. I've, you know, I've gotten to really know Sean and, and Mark, who's not here. And I was messaging him last night about how much I'm going to miss him. Because it's just, you know, we come here early and we just hang out. And how you doing while we're, you know, laying the cable out and stuff. And just, just chatting. And, and so that's why we want you to be part of a team. Because that's how you get to know people. You go on a, on a you need that excuse to go on a mission together. And so that's, that's why we're introducing these teams to see if there's something that you go, you know what? I can make fun of Barry, too. I want to be part of the youth team. Because that looks like fun. It is. 
It is. Because we love him. And he shows great restraint because he hasn't tackled me to the ground yet. So thank you for that, by the way. Next question. Are you primarily encouraged, within this community, are you primarily encouraged to do more, give more, try harder, or to rest and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the cross? When you are struggling, when you are hurting, when you're tired, what's the message? What is, what is the community placing on you? Do, we, do they say, well, have you been reading your Bible enough? How's your prayer life going? Daily devotions? And, and which devotion are you using? Oh, the daily, well, that's you know, time to graduate, time to move up, take something a little bit stronger now. And, and do we focus on those things or... Do we follow what Jesus did? In, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he says, come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you a list of things to do. Is that what it says? <laughs> I'll give you rest. Think about who he was speaking to here. He was speaking to a group of Jews who were tired of not measuring up to the law. They were failing. And he says, are you, are you tired yet? Are you ready to give up? Well, then come to me, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Isn't that what you need when you're struggling? You don't need a taskmaster. You don't need someone to say, well, you got to buck up, pull up your bootstraps, go harder. You need someone that's humble and gentle. And, I'll, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so in this community, what's the focus? Is it on you and you, what you do and, and your accomplishments? Or is it about Jesus Christ and the cross and all that he's done? Next one. Is our unity based on uniformity or our union with Jesus? This is so important right now. We see so much division in the world, but we even see the division amongst churches, within the church, where there's so much debate and, and struggles. And, and it's not new. I mean, it's the reason why we, there are about 10,000 different denominations of the Baptists just in the South. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, right? And, and there's so much church division and, 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 um, and splinters and different groups. And, and you know, really, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you believe in a pre-trib, a mid-trib, a post-trib, a rapture or catching away the saints. It doesn't matter if you believe that miracle signs and wonders ended at the end of the first century or continue to this day. It doesn't matter which political party or philosophy you ascribe to. Your opinions on masking, on vaccinations, on passports, irrelevant. It's not the style of music you prefer, be it country, rap, rock and roll, reggae, or Kenny G on the sax, Robin. None of that. It's not the size of your income, the size of your house. It doesn't matter if you put your kids in public school, in the Catholic school, in the private school, in the Christian school, or if you homeschool. It's not the kind of work you do, whether you're the boss, the guy on the floor, or the one who cleans the toilets. It's not the color of your skin the length of your hair, or if you don't have any hair at all. It doesn't matter which teams you cheer for, and it doesn't even matter if you like Coke, Pepsi, or RC Cola. 
I know, I know, it's pretty big. (laughs) What binds us together, what makes us one, what our unity is, is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is greater and bigger than all of that division. And so within this body, within this fellowship, we can have people on every side of the spectrum. And that's okay. We can love and accept you regardless. Paul wrote earlier in Ephesians 4, 2 to 6, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity. We don't have to force it. We don't have to create it. We are preserving it. Preserve the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one spirit. There is also, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the same Jesus that's in Ian is the same Jesus that's in Jim. And maybe they see things differently. And that's okay. But they can come together. They can, they can experience community and unity together because they're both in Jesus. And because they're both in Jesus, they're equally righteous and equally accepted. And that's good news because when, when one of us is struggling, that means we all get to struggle together. Which means we get to offer grace and compassion and understanding to one another. We get to support one another. And we get to care for those who are struggling, even if it means just sitting with you in the struggle. Because it's not really about getting you better, so to speak. It's not really about fixing the problem. It's just about getting to know you and love you. So my friend has a, a plaque in his office. And he says, the, the grace of God sat down with me until I was ready to walk again. And that's what we get to do with one another. Sometimes we lift each other up. Sometimes we just sit with each other. And we just sit in silence, letting them know they're not alone and that they are loved. Last one. Questions of a healthy community. Is the community known for our professional performance, our flashy presentation, our rock and worship music, our wonderful, engaging, and dynamic teachers? or for how we love one another. You know, we, we try to put on, you know, the, the make the music sound good. We, we want, that's why I don't sing. Uh, we, we want to, you know, we prepare and we, you know, as teachers, we want to be engaging and we want to make sure that you guys have a great time. Your kids are having a great time down in the, in the, in the gym right now. We, we want to do that. But I don't think we'll ever get you know, really, really sharp and perfect, and perfect and professional. We're always going to be a little messy. And I'm OK with that. Because I think about a home. You know, th- there are some houses that are absolutely immaculate. Not a single thing out of place. There's no dust. There's no crumbs. There's no mess. But there's also probably very little life happening in that home. And then you get another home where it's messy because the kids are running and they're playing and they're, they're making jam everywhere. And it's just, there's a big mess across the kitchen, but there's laughter and there's fun and there's excitement because life is happening there. And so our focus is not this Sunday morning presentation. 
Our focus, what we want to do, what we want to get right is the Monday to Saturday. Because if we can do Monday to Saturday right as a church where we're encouraging, we're supporting, we're, we're loving one another, Sunday morning takes care of itself. And it won't be perfect. It won't be flashy. There will be many other churches that have a far better production than we do. I totally submit that, and I'm OK with that. Because I would rather us be known for how we love one another. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men, all the whole world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, the love of God is very attractive. There's no greater way to evangelize. There's no greater way to invite than to offer love. And that's what we get to do. We get to offer love to each other. We get to offer love to one another, the love that's coming from Jesus. It's not trying to mimic, imitate that love. It's the very life and love of Jesus flowing through you towards others. And that kind of love, that kind of light will be a giant contrast in the darkness that this world is. What an opportunity we have. But what that means is there's freedom to fail. Because we're not looking for the professional. We're not looking for the perfect. There's freedom to fail. And it's OK. We were having some trouble with the drums. I don't know if you noticed, but drums for most of the morning was coming out of one speaker. Oh, well. We'll get to it next time. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> But you were half good, I guess, right? <laughs> but our, our identity, our worth is not wrapped up in the performance, so it doesn't matter. And so we, we come, we do our best, but it's secondary to the opportunity we get to love each other. So please love Richard. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's struggling this morning. And Barry, because he's getting picked on a lot. So, All right, so in closing, we're, we're far from perfect in this. We really are. We're far from perfect in how we love one another. But this is what we're growing in. This is what we're learning to do. This is where we're aiming to go. And again, this kind of community, it's possible. I believe it in my heart. If it wasn't possible, God wouldn't invite us into it. But it's possible. And I know it because I've experienced it and I've seen it. And so we're inviting all of you to be a part of this. And while it may seem too good to be true, just remember this that it all depends on our Savior, Lord Jesus. He's got to make it happen. He's the source of it. And so can Jesus create that kind of a loving, safe community? You bet he can. And that's what he's wanting to do, each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to experience this kind of community. That, that when we got saved, it wasn't just us alone. That we didn't have to just figure it out on our own. But you actually surrounded us with other people. People here in this room, people here online, our friends from either other churches. People to encourage us to keep looking to you. Not looking on the circumstances, not looking on the world, not looking on the governments. Because none of that is our answer. But keep coming back to you and understanding the life and the strength and the power that exists in you. And my prayer 
is that new life would be known for that. That we'd be known for our faith and and how we love one another. And so we're trusting you to bring that to to pass. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.